Hi everyone, welcome to the World Explorers Podcast, a kid-friendly space where experts gather to inspire and equip families, communities, and better yet, the planet to have those tough, often taboo, timely conversations about life. At World Explorers, we encourage children to have a love for the planet and all its people. We are inviting you to be part of a village that values diversity, inclusion, empathy, and health and wellness so that you and your children can not only thrive, but prosper in an increasingly complex world. So sit back and buckle up as we set out to explore some rather tough talks that will give you the confidence you need to start a series of healthy conversations with your child today. My name is Kisha Edwards-Ganzi, and I'm the co-founder of World Explorers Group. I'm genuinely excited to welcome you to our first Tough Talk Tuesday. These conversations will take place one Tuesday of each month, and in each talk, we aspire to dig deeply into topics that, while they are necessary and essential to families, they are often overlooked because either the topics are difficult to navigate, easy to ignore, or just literally tough to talk through in a way that is productive, accurate, and honest. As we engage in this talk and in the upcoming talks in this series, it is vitally and foundationally important for families to have access to a variety of resources from a variety of perspectives to be able to thoughtfully answer the questions that our curious children ask of us and to ensure that our answers offer children an open-minded and inclusive lens of understanding. We recognize the importance of children being able to see themselves and an accurate depiction of all of our Earth's people and their choices, cultures, religions, and values in the books, media, and art that our children consume. For today's inaugural Tough Talk, I'm so grateful to welcome Mia Wenjin of Pragmatic Mom and Dr. Corey Emanuel of Corey Emanuel Omnimedia. Mia Wenjin is an author, blogger, and advocate, and she has been dedicated to sharing information about diverse children's books through her website, pragmaticmom.com, and she is the co-founder of Multicultural Children's Books Day. Dr. Corey Emanuel is an author, producer, and media psychologist, and he is an expert at guiding educators and caregivers on how to mindfully discuss current events with an inclusive lens. Dr. Corey highlights a quote from the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on his website, and I'll read that quote. The function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character that is the goal of true education. And my question is this, how can we think intensively and critically about anything if certain people in their perspectives, all histories and all backgrounds are not accurately included in the conversation? With that being said, let's get started. I'm so happy to pass the spotlight over to our first expert, Dr. Corey Emanuel. Thank you so much, World Explorers, and everyone that is uh, tuning in. As uh, Ms. Ganzi shared with us at the top, you know, we're here today to really um, talk about inclusion and diversity through children's literature and media. Um, again, my name is Corey Emanuel. I'm a media psychologist, um, and my pronouns are he, him, and his. I thought that it would be good as we, as we jump into this discussion to sort of have 
a working definition, right? We're here to talk about a, a diverse and inclusive family library, but what does that even mean, right? So I kind of coined this definition that a diverse and inclusive family library is one that is not only gonna address your child's holistic learning. So, you know, challenging them intellectually, emotionally, socially, artistically, creatively, but it's also helping them to accept and affirm their identity as well as the identity of others. So, you know, some might say that's quite a lofty goal, but I do think that there are a lot of benefits to really tapping into what your diverse and inclusive family library um, looks like, right? Um, Mem Fox, uh, a renowned uh, literacy educator, she says, everything we read constructs us and it makes us who we are. So I think that is the perfect sort of way to sort of ground why we are even having this discussion. You know, why now? Why, why is this conversation so relevant right now, right? So what we know when we look at some of the research that, that some of my other colleagues and folks, folks before me have come and done, we know that children, a lot of children's literature reproduces stereotypes about people who have traditionally experienced oppression in dominant groups, right? Or by dominant groups. Um, we also know that there are patterns of gender bias and stereotypes that are evidence and evident in a lot of children's book, um, particularly pr promoting sexist ideology. And then also that there are characters from minority ethnic groups and mixed race characters that are underrepresented, right? So because of this, we have to pay very close attention to how we now move the needle forward. We have to think, although we're adults, right? how those images, those stories that we were told and that we experience as children, how is that now still very much a part of the fabric of our society today? And how do we change that so that that's not the world that our children face or live in tomorrow? So with that being said, you know, what we're really focusing on here is helping our children develop positive attitudes towards their own culture, as well as the culture of others. Um, that's, that's essential for both their social and personal development. All right, with all that being said, how do I start to evaluate either the books that I already have that are part of my family library, or as I'm seeking new books, right, to add to my family library? So as we think about that, right, again, we're looking through this lens of children's books inform the formation of identity for our children. You know, they're, they're figuring out who they are, right? They're trying to make sense of the world around them and books help in that process, right? They aid in that process, right? So these are three questions that I challenge you to be asking yourself. Question number one, if it's picture books, how is my child represented in the images, right? Sub question, if they aren't represented in the pictures at all, what does that mean? So again, as this, this process of development, as they're forming their identity, what do the images in the book specifically say to them about them as they're thinking about their own self-esteem, um, self-worth, self-acceptance? Also, if they're not part of the, um, let's say they are part of the dominant group, right? You know, what is that telling them about others? Question number two, what do the stories tell my child about others? So are there lessons being taught? 
Um, is it informing them? Is it giving them new insights, um, you know, new perspectives about the experience of others? And does it affirm others' differences? Third, are the representations realistic? Whether you're Black, white, Asian, Latino, what have you, none of us are a monolith, right? So we want to be reading stories that represent the world that is around us, right? The characters are multidimensional. They're experiencing a range of emotions. And it's also revealing some cultural nuances, okay? So these are three essential questions that you want to be asking yourself as you're evaluating your family library. Shelf awareness, right? Again, we're sort of trying to get after the books that maybe we already have that are a part of our library or as we look to expand, right? So I thought we would look through sort of the, the tenets of these three um, categories. One being race and identity, okay? You want to be looking for books that are going to be revealing cultural nuances among racial ethnic groups, right? I always like to use example, you know, perhaps you're someone who you had a friend, a close friend growing up of another race, right? Or even in college, you had a really good friend that maybe you spent some time with their family um, over holidays, things of, of that nature. You still have a very uh, small understanding view, even though you had a close relationship with someone of a different race, right? We want to be looking for books that go beyond what you already are accustomed to, right? Another thing, very important here, is that you want to be not only empowering the, the children of the ethnic minority group, perhaps, that are in your home, but also, like, we're looking for books that speak to the other side of that, right? So whether you're the minority or you're the dominant culture, you want to be understanding the complicated na nature and human experiences, um, no matter which side of the fence that you're on, right? Another area, gender, right? You're wanting to be considerate of the way gender is being depicted in the books that you're reading, right? So what are the messages about the boys or men? What are the messages about girls or women in that particular book? That makes a huge difference. And then lastly, disabilities, right? Just the concept of disability. Do you have any books that deal with disabilities? Are they authentic in na nature? Meaning that these, again, are real representations of disabilities that people are dealing with in the real world, right? Um, are there examples of commonalities and differences between, say, your child and maybe the child they're reading about in that book? Um, their daily routines? Are we seeing realistic depictions of how someone with a disability lives their life day to day? So these are just examples, again, of what you want to be looking for, right? So this is the takeaway. It's important that your children are, they have some curiosity, they have some built-in and intrigue, some knowledge, some respect for differences, so that as they begin learning about race and gender and disabilities and things, they don't absorb the idea that the lives of others are all about struggle, right? So that's another layer to it, right? Yes, we're learning how we may be different from someone, but also we're not looking at sort of the downtrodden, sad narrative about these people's experiences, right? So these are things that we wanna be considering.
So the question we may often get as parents, guardians, uncles, aunts, things like that is, can we read this book, right? So if your child um, were to bring you the book, Hair Love, question number one, what does this title or book cover rather suggest this book is about? Loving your hair, you're born with. So within that though, we might, let's say we're not part of the, the, the racial group that's being represented on the cover of this book, right? What opportunity is it for you if, if you are from the other side of the fence of this? What might be an opportunity for you if you are not, say, Black or African-American and your child, your daughter, or your son says they want to read this book? What might be a takeaway for them? They might learn just simply about how somebody else takes care of their hair, hair that doesn't look like theirs. They might learn about a father-daughter dynamic. So we're learning about the things about people that make them unique, and we should celebrate those differences. One of the, the, the topics that comes up a lot when we're talking about reading and, and you know family togetherness around certain topics is age appropriateness, right? And I thought it was good, be good to sort of talk through the lens of the continuum of gender and sexuality, right? So let's think about this for a moment. So let's think about our babies, okay? Around the age of say two, you know, they start talking a lot and they have a lot of questions. Um, and we'll use the scenario of maybe you have a two-year-old, three-year-old, and then now you're pregnant with your second child, right? You might hear questions about, you know, well, how did the baby get in your belly? And how is the baby gonna get out of your, your, your belly, right? Very true organic questions that children might have. This is where you can begin planting the seeds, right? Of introducing them to families and relationships, right? Certain dynamics, um, even adoption perhaps, uh, surrogacy. These are things that are real ways in which a child comes to be in the world, right? So we're planting the seeds, again, speaking to them, you know, where they are, not speaking above them or using language that they're not necessarily familiar with, but speaking to where they are and the questions that they're organically asking you at that age. Then we move along the continuum. Now we're getting into, you know, sort of age six to nine, uh, where their bodies are changing, right? Starting to make some discovery around gender expressions, right? From there, we're now going into sort of that age 10 to 12, where we're now starting to deal more with sexualization, body issues, um, sexual choices, things like that, right? The reason this is important to start planting those seeds earlier is we're, we're planting the seeds for a bigger conversation, real world conversation around gender, sexuality. And then it doesn't become this big foreign topic once they're older, right? So again, when we think about age appropriateness and should I be talking about certain things and what can I talk about? I always encourage parents, think about the big picture. Remember at the, the beginning of this, this talk, we started talking about, you know, what is the world that we want to see tomorrow that may not exist today, but the world that we wanna to see tomorrow, we have to start having these conversations now, right? Planting the seeds. Uh, this is just a quick one, it's called Jacob's New Dress, right? This 
uh, piggybacks to what I was just talking about, about starting the conversation around gender sexuality earlier, right? Is that if your child comes to you and says they want to read this book, perhaps they don't necessarily identify with Jacob's experience, but they want to begin to understand and celebrate Jacob's difference, right? So again, giving them opportunities within your family library to have conversations like that. Uh, these are just a couple of my, my favorite books. Um, I Am Enough is a book about self-love, self-acceptance. Uh, my Three Best Friends in Me, Zule, uh, is about disability, um, someone who's deaf. And then for my parents and my young adults, I don't want to leave you out because I know we've spent a lot of time sort of in our, our you know, early reader to like 12-year-old tween age, but a beautiful book that I wanted to recommend is called All Boys Aren't Blue by a friend of mine, George Johnson. Um, and that book in particular is going to deal with gender identity, toxic masculinity, brotherhood, family, um, consent, all of those things. It's a great book if you've got teens or if you're an adult and you're sort of new to some of these topics that you might not necessarily feel confidently talking about with your smaller kids, that is a great uh, book to sort of begin this journey with. Um, and then just a couple of um, friendly reminders. There's more risk with not talking about some of these things as they're organically coming up um, than telling them too much, okay? Um, you can admit you don't have all the answers as you start to read these books and certain questions come up feel free to say, you know what, I want to look at, I want to research that a little bit more, son, or I want to re research that a little bit more, and let's talk about this in an, on another day. Totally okay with that. Um, there is no singular talk. Um, as you think about sexuality in particular, um, these should be a series of talks. There is no one singular talk. Um, and then introduce certain concepts at specific ages, right, for what, again, organically comes up in conversation through um, your, your child's curiosity as you're reading. Um, lastly, I'll just say, uh, be, be cognizant of pronouns. Again, opportunities to read books about gender is really important now um, as we think about how we show up for people in our workspace, um, at school, um, in our communities. We wanna be searching for books that affirm and celebrate one another's differences, okay? And I think we'll have an opportunity in a little bit to talk a little bit more about some of these resources. But for now, I will turn it back over to the World Explorers team. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Corey. That was great. So informative. I, you know, the time went by really fast. You presented <laughs> us with a lot of really great information. Next, I'm going to pass the spotlight over to Mia Wenjin. Um, she runs the blog pragmaticmom.com, as I introduced her in the beginning, and she is going to talk to us tonight about diverse children's books. So, uh, uh, Mia, we look forward to hearing from you next. Okay. I'm going to take you on my personal journey of how I came into diverse books and caring about it so much. So I'm going to age myself, but about 45 years ago, I was in fourth, fifth grade, and I grew up in Southern California. And I read every single book in my very well-stocked elementary school library. I read every middle grade book. I read every biography. And it took me two years. And I never saw a character that looked like me. 
not a single Asian character ever. And we were rare in the media. I think we, we were in a Calgon commercial and there was a short-lived sitcom that my parents were really excited about. And so fast forward, uh, I have three children. My oldest is now 21. So 21, 18 year old, 16 year old. And you know, when they were young, I was excited. There were all these children's books with Asian characters. I thought, you know, wow, we came a really long way. But then um, 10 years ago, I started blogging and maybe about a year and a half into my blog, I um, read a study from Lee and Lowe, which is a publishing company that said, six, there's only 6% of children's books being published that have diverse characters. And that number 6% of all children's books published in a year had not changed in 14 years. So that was, I was like, that's crazy because the population has changed. It's are much more diverse. And in the beginning of my blog, I'm half Japanese and I'm half Chinese and I'm married to a Korean American. So very early on in my blog, I made a Chinese American list, a Japanese American book list and a Korean American book list. Mostly I was looking for those books just to read my, with my own children. And so those books, those book lists were, you know, popular for, for my blog, just starting out. And, but then once I heard that stat, 6% of all books, I was like, um, I think I'm just gonna focus on diverse books. So I put it out there into social media. Um, I'm gonna focus my blog on promoting the great diverse books out there. And another blogger reached out to me, Valerie Boudere of Jump Into a Book. And she said, you know, let's talk. And this is nine years ago. So she called me and she said, you know, I, I saw the same stat, I was horrified. Let's do something about it. And I said, okay, great, what? She said, let's create our own day. Let's create a holiday. Um, and so I was like, what, can you do that? And apparently you can. So we chose a day at the end of January, Multicultural Children's Book Day. Um, and that evolved into a nonprofit. And it's a day, it, it, it's, it's a day where uh, we give away free books, free diverse books to um, people who sign up. They do a little review, they share it on a linky and they share it on social media and they share it on Amazon as well. Um, and it's sort of our, it, it, was, it was the first step uh, for us to promote the great children's books that are out there of a diverse nature. Um, and so, you know, year by year, like we're now in our eighth year, uh, we, we added more resources. So one resource I want to share with you is what we call our um, multi-children's book day, diverse book lists and activities for teachers and parents. And this is a giant list of blog posts. So like I go through and I personally curate the best book lists from education bloggers that, you know, a lot of them are friends of mine, you know, cause we've been blogging for a long time. And um, I, I made this giant list that you can slice and dice. You can find anything you need. It's by country, it's by religion. It's by book genre, it's by age, it's by holidays, it's by ethnicity. Um, so this giant list, I update it once or twice a year. Um, and it's, it's just a resource that's free. Um, these book lists, th these children's book bloggers, they've read all the books on their list. They give their personal reviews of what they like. Um, and so that's one way for us just to share, um, you know, you know, 
like, I want to read more diverse books, but I just don't know what are the good ones, or I need a specific book. And um, I'm just trying to find that book. So that, that list, um, feel free to check it out. It will be in the link that gets emailed to you as well. Um, and then um, just in general, like our, our uh, Multicultural Children's Book Day has other resources as well um, for teachers and for librarians and for parents. We have um, kind of like classroom kits. So we have uh, one on empathy that covers immigration and the refugee experience. We have one on just kindness. We have one on physical and mental um, disabilities. We have one on poverty. We have one on active, uh, activism and activists. Every year we create um, a, a, a kit. It's a book list, it's activities, it's a discussion guide, it's a poster created specifically for that. Um, and so it, it's free. Um, for everyone. So feel free to um, check that out if you think you might need that. And then just like in my own personal evolution of thinking about diversity and depictions of, um, you know, of, of how, you know, how characters are depicted, I just wanted to share um, three, three posts that I wanted to highlight. One is a post that's guest written by Bethany Edwards of Biracial Bookworm. And she wrote a a racism and white privilege book list for me. And she kind of goes through her own, you know, personal experience talking to her daughter who is biracial about like, you know, how do we think about race and racism? Um, and so it, it's, it's, a very, uh, it's a very detailed post, uh, has a great book list. And for people who want to talk about racism or white privilege, what is that? Um, um, how do I talk to that? about that topic to my child, that, that book list and kind of how she goes about, she kind of models how she does it with her own child. I thought that was um, a really great post that she did. Um, and then just like thinking about like, you know, just racism and skin color. I, I created a, a unit on, you know, children's books about skin color. And I kind of did it from a different angle because, you know, maybe we're used to thinking about black versus white, literally like, you know, and I did it from, Asian. So I took different Asian cultures and um, looked at like colorism, like, you know, do Asians perceive skin tone, certain tones of skin, you know, more favorably or less favorably. So I kind of just, you know, have a little bit about that. I have some, um, some children's books that cover, you know, skin color. And, um, and then I have a couple of videos that I link. They're not, they're not mine, but I just link them. Um, they're embedded. And they just talk about skin color, like scientifically, like what is skin color? What is melanin? How did that evolve as a, just a biological feature of humans? I thought that was just a really interesting way to just to like look and think about skin color from a different perspective. And then you can sort of segue into racism. And then just for my own personal evolution of, you know, never seeing myself in children's books. And then maybe 20 years ago, seeing a lot of, you know, or not a lot, but like, finally seeing children's books with Asian characters and all the different genres, picture books and chapter books and, you know, uh, easy readers and middle grade and, and YA. Um, now the question for me is, you know, like, you know, like, you know, Asians, we're like, we're not a monolith, you know, like we're, we're like a lot of different, like we're not one thing. There's no one eye shape that defines an Asian or an Asian eye. And so I wrote this post um, recently that's literally, are slant eyes racist? And, you know, how are Asians portrayed in children's books? 
And my whole um, take of it is that, you know, like I have, you know, I, I have a video that I made of like all these different like actors of all different Asian ethnicities, just so you can see all the different faces. And then I have my personal collection of uh, children's books with um, Asian American children's books and all the book jackets. And so my question is, does it match up? Like, are we seeing uh, a wide portrayal of Asians in children's books? Are, are, because, you know, like, right, right, isn't our goal is to see every child represented, you know? And so that's not just a single, you know, sort of Asian face or an Asian eye, but it's really like, can we get every Asian eye represented? Can we get every Asian face? Um, and so like, as we, you know, I guess, as we think about what is diversity and what is diversity in my own library, you know, there's like, like, just as I, I sort of had my own journey, there are like many different layers to it, you know, so it may be like, oh, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I feel like my library is pretty comprehensive. It has a lot of, you know, I, I have a, a good amount of diversity. Um, but it's also just how you, you think about it and how you, you know, peel away the layers of, you know, it, like, is everyone represented? And, you know, and, you know, like, and when we see different representations, you know, like, it, it's something that we can discuss, you know, something that maybe to talk about with my child. For example, there might be, you know, uh, you know, a picture book that's about an Asian, and it might be like, wow, like, do, do you think they look Asian? Like, yes or no? And why? And why not? Or a depiction where, it looks Asian, but you know, maybe like the eyes are like literally like drawn in as a like a, a slanted line. And like, wow, do you see Asians that have lines for eyes and no eyeballs? And like 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 you know, like what does that what does that mean? And how does that make you feel? And you know, like what is a good representation? Like when do you see yourselves, you know? And so, um, yeah, so just in conclusion, I just wanted to invite everyone to come to our Multicultural Children's Book Day event. It's this Friday. Um, in particular, we are having a Twitter party at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so for that hour, we will be just talking about, you know, sort of the state of children's diversity in children's books. And every five minutes, we're giving away a book bundle. And to celebrate our eighth year of our holiday, every book bundle is at least eight books or more. Um, and so we hope that you will join us um, and um, share in the love of the diverse books that exist out there now. Um, so I definitely have some questions for both of you um, and, and whichever uh, person feels inspired to take this on, you could go ahead and uh, do so. Um, one of the questions that I'd love for you to weigh in on is, this. Um, what if as a parent or a family, you disagree with um, some of the material that are inside a particular children's book? Um, if, if you disagree with the characters or their position or their lifestyle or anything that, uh, that those characters are doing, should, should you still read it? Should you still participate in texts like that for your family? Okay, so I can answer that because I was on a rampage because um, I didn't know Dr. Seuss was racist and really contributed to Japanese Americans being sent to prison camps, which, you know, my mother was someone who was affected by that. Um, and, you know, so all this, you know, all, you know, all this time, like I'm reading Dr. Seuss with my kids, I have a whole library. And when I found that out, I was like, like, no, you know, and, you know, I sort of noticed maybe like obliquely, like, you know, there's kind of a, you know, an illustration of like, 
you know, an Asian that looks kind of stereotypical, you know, slant eyes and like, you know, the ponytail and all that. Um, but it wasn't really until I uh, did my own research and um, also got educated by um, Katie Ishizuka, who, who did a huge study on, you know, all the instances where Dr. Seuss has, you know, racism in the books. And so I, I still have those books, you know, I still keep them. I didn't burn them or throw them away or anything like that because I respect books, but it's also something I bring up with my children to say like, you know, you know, Dr. Seuss, you know, was racist, you know, he contributed anti-Black, anti-Japanese American, you know, uh, the sentiment that helped, you know, the, the just, you know, the general people feel like it was okay to put everyone in a prison camp. And, and there's depictions in, 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 in these books that are not okay. And that even, even stories where you're like Horton Hears a Who, where you're like, oh, it's like sort of his way of, you know, apologizing or, um, you know, trying to make the world better. You know, it's, but, but another way to look at Horton Hears a Who is that, you know, that's a white savior. You know, it's like, like it's a picture of a white savior. And so, you know, like I, I didn't even realize that, you know, until like, I don't know, four or five years ago. And so like, I wouldn't have expected my children to know that or just, you know, general, you know, people who don't think about this day and night. Um, and so I, I think it's important to keep those books, but then always have that layer of what did we learn? And, um, you know, um, you know, what books are, you know, what books would you rather read? And also, you know, like, like this was racism, you know, that, that racism then too, which I always feel like that racism then is not unlike racism that we all experienced as Asians in the last four years, you know, so like things change and it feels like, oh, a long time ago, you know, people were just like that. They just thought, you know, oh, it was okay to be, think those kind of racist thoughts. But then you're like, but like compare that to now, like, you know, are Asian Americans experiencing racism of a violent nature daily in the last four years, you know, the highest ever, you know, um, aren't Asian American kids the most bullied at school, statistically, Sikhs being the highest. And so, um, yeah. Okay, thank you. Dr. Corey, do you want to weigh in on that as well? Yeah, Mia did, did an excellent job. Um, I agree with her 1000%. And I would also say, you know, we, we have the opportunity in these scenarios to teach our kids how to be critical thinkers, critical readers. And I think that's what Mia just illustrated so well is that we're not saying go and burn all these books in the fire. What we're saying is these are some very real things that that came from or that are rooted in a lot of our literature so it, it even opens up a conversation for a, a wider array of books that your child may come across and may want to read so it's sort of a jumping off point i believe to begin having critical thinking and reading conversations and also just to tie it tie it to the present or tie it to something that your children can relate to you know what i mean and so it's not it, it can be like a like a teachable moment, but also something so personal that they will always remember it, you know? So like for my son, you know, who like, you know, maybe when he was in middle grade, he was like, you know, my friend, you know, I heard another classmate call him the N word, you know? And like, that's, you know, normally in, you know, our middle school, like that would be like grounds for uh, at least suspension, but like this, you know, 
you know, somehow, you know, maybe he wasn't at school, it was like on the street, like he was getting away with it. And so it was sort of, you know, um, you know, how, you know, how can you relate that to other stuff that you're reading? And then also like, how can you, um, instead of being a bystander, how can you be uh, someone who stands up, you know, st stands up to bullying um, and speaks out against racism? So, I mean, that's, it's a hard thing. My, my son, you know, is, you know, was nervous about like, oh, they're going to pick on me if I stand up for somebody. But it's like, you know, like, sometimes you just have to, you, you have to be brave, you know? Yeah, thank you. Thank you both. Um, another question um, that I have is, when we are considering text and particularly children's books in this instance, um, can you talk about the importance of considering the author's um, background um, and the diversity and inclusivity of the authors of these books and not just the characters? Um, Mia, you brought up a statistic through, you know, about the 6% of books being produced um, that, that had Asian American characters over the, that 14 year period. Um, and I and I often um, do research around that same thing. And often, um, out of 100% of the books that are usually produced um, that have characters that have a diverse background, roughly like 10 to 20% of those books are actually written by authors with that same background of the characters. And can you talk about the importance of that and, and the importance for families to consider that when they're deciding which text to um, pick up for their family? So I, I actually published a book called Own Voices, My Favorite Children's Books. And own, like hashtag own voices is a term that got created to sort of depict like the characters in the books are um, written by an author of the same background. And because um, I, I think, you know, it's like a it's like a slippery slope, you know what I mean? Like, of course, we would prefer to read, you know, we like like first of all, we just want diversity. Like, I, for me, like from children, we just want diversity. So you see, like, uh, you know, uh, a BIPOC character, you're like, yay, you know. But then you realize, oh, they just like slapped on, they slapped them in. Like, nothing to do with the story. The illustrator and the um, and the author are not of that ethnicity. And it's sort of like a, you know, almost like a marketing thing where like now my audience is bigger, but you know, the race has nothing to do with the story or um, there's nothing cultural about, you know, about their background. And so then you're like, you yeah, know, that isn't so great. And, and then you read books by what I call hashtag own voices. And there's just this rich layering. Um, I, I have a post where I have like own voices face off where I have a Chinese American who wrote a Filipino character a book that my son was assigned, like his entire grade read it. And then I have a Filipino author who wrote her own voices. And you know what I mean? And it, it's interesting because you've got someone Chinese who, you know, isn't, you know, like obviously isn't Filipino um, writing a character and there's no, there's no other culture in it. And I, I even said, like, we had this whole Twitter conversation. It's on my blog if you want to read it. Cause I, cause I reached out to the author and I said, Hey, like you had your, you know, your character eating pork chops all the time. And like, you could have even made it adobo, like make it like Filipino food. And then the Filipino author who wrote, um, you know, a really great book. I can, I can send it later, uh, the books. She was like, LOL, 
ha ha. Sometimes I just bake pork chops in the oven and they're dry and they're not great either. But my whole point is that, you know, like if we really want to dig deep and support diversity, then let's support the, the authors and the illustrators who are of that, um, of that um, diverse nature because you're one, you're, you're probably giving voice and opportunities to people who don't normally get this or wouldn't get the opportunity because in publishing, they're not publishing every single book out there. And so if, a, you know, if white creators create a story of whatever ethnicity and that, they, they sort of check the box like, oh, we covered that, you know? And then also if you compare the two, it's just so much richer um, because they just know so much more. Cause like, I was like, you know, I, I grew up, my best friend was Filipino in Southern California. And like, I hung out with her. I went to her church events. Like, I, I mean, I ate her food like, like two or three times a week. And, but then when I read that book, I was like, I recognize all the food, but I didn't know about the dance. And I didn't know about, you know, I didn't know about a lot of things that I thought like, oh, I, I spent so much time with my best friend and her huge, you know, family and you know all her extended relatives that like I'm pretty I'm, I'm pretty good with the you know tag along you know Tagalog but like I you know I wasn't I, I mean I, I, I knew a little bit I knew the food some of the food but I didn't know it all and so you compare those two books and I'll send it to uh, Keisha um, that's just one example of like let's let's support the creators the diverse creators yeah thank you Mia um, Corey, do you do you have to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I a couple of times in the slides I was sharing, I discussed the cultural nuance as being being one of the evaluation factors that you really want to look at. And like Mia just said, you know, is is one thing if I go and and have studied abroad in Korea, right, or Japan, and I I could write a beautiful story about my experience during that study abroad. But someone like Mia, who grew up there and was raised by grandparents who spent, you know, decades there, they're just going to have those nuances to their experiences that add to that richness of that story that's just going to be completely different for the reader than my one small, you know, little drop in the bucket experience studying abroad there. The final question is going to be about current events for such a time as this. How, how, how can we include text, nonfiction text or current journalism um, in our family's library to, to talk to our kids right now about the events that are happening on a daily basis um, and that, are, that our news is traveling so quickly, right? Like we get news immediately, we get breaking news, it's constantly. So there's a constant conversation regarding current events and, and different varying perspectives, politically, culturally, there's so much at play right now. So how can we include these texts in our family libraries? I would say, you know, one is just, again, having an open, honest conversation about what's happening. Right, again, tapping into these organic moments. For example, when the Capitol was um, under siege a couple of weeks ago, uh, several children were interviewed and they shared things like, I was afraid. I, you know, I didn't know if they were gonna come to my house. Um, I didn't understand why, uh, if, if it had been people of color, that this would have been a, probably a different experience. These were things that were coming from the mouths of children. And so I think you owe it to your family um, you owe it to your family library to be bringing the news, to be bringing newspaper, um, magazine, um, article conversations to the dinner table. 
um, when you're sitting around the living room and asking your your children uh, how they feel about what's happening currently. I don't think you always need to like put a newspaper in their lap. They know, they're aware, they're in school, uh, they're on YouTube, they're hearing these things digitally. Um, so I think it's just about having the conversation and asking them how they feel about what's happening currently. Yeah, I completely agree with Dr. Emmanuel. One little trick I like to do is like when I find a book that I feel like this is a good book, like for example, for my 16 year old son, because my, my two daughters who are older, they're, you know, they seem, you know, more um, well-versed getting the news and processing it. But for my son, like I bought Stamped by Jason Reynolds and um, Dr. Um, I don't know if I can say his name correctly. And um, sometimes I just like buy the book and I just sort of like strew it about his room. Like I put it like on his chair or on his bed. But in this case, I handed it to him and he was like, oh, Jason Reynolds. Yeah, I love the track series. Yeah, this is going to be good. And I was like, yeah, he's a great author. He's fabulous. And like, this is a really great book about racism. And he was like, okay, yeah, I'll read it. But only because, you know, I don't really, like he doesn't read a lot, you know, but because like, I love Jason Reynolds. And so it's like, you know, find, like find the right book, make it available. And then just sort of just like, for me, like have it at the ready. And when they ask that one question or when they're, you know, ready to have, you know, something comes up that triggers a conversation, just go, let's talk about it. And like, here's a great resource. Here's a great book. You're going to love it. Um, just because it's, it's just so hard to get kids reading these days. It, it, there's so much competition from screens. Right. And I was going to say, you know, our kids, they, this generation, they're very much activists. Uh, they're very much advocates in that way. So to me, as point to build off the momentum that they have. Um, I think my little 13 year old cousin, they were protesting, you know, around school lunches. Um, there have been other reports of, you know, kids protesting about, uh, you know, gun violence. So there, there's an awareness that they have. And I think to Mia's point, if you can have some, some reading ready that reinforces uh, the motivation that they have, then, then you're, you're on the right track. Remember, you are your child's most influential role model. As they seek to form their individual identities, you influence their attitudes, behavior, values, the way they coexist with others, as well as how they choose to love and honor who they uniquely are. Yes, we know it's quite the tall order, but guess what? You don't have to do it alone. We're all figuring it out one day at a time together. Until next time, Live, laugh, go explore.